and it's better to pay for a good property manager. Not any old property manager, not a real estate agent. Potentially, it can be a waste of money, but a good property manager worth the weight in gold. So it's the methodology that we use for our buyer's agency that we also provide in our suburb selection for our buyer's information pack. Council rates, water rates, and your insurances, landlord building insurances. I think the one that arguably is hidden and even some investors don't see it after investing for many years is the cost of wear and tear that can happen on your property. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. Today, we're going into some of the questions getting asked on the Perth Property Investment Facebook group. And if you're not already a part of the conversations, head over to Facebook, search Perth Property Investment and request to join. It'd be great to have you involved in the convos and sharing any questions that you have. So let's dive into some of our questions that we've got. I've got Dwayne Long, who's our superstar property manager slash business development manager at Investors Edge. Thanks for joining us today, Dwayne. You're very welcome, Jared. Glad to be here. You haven't been on the show in a while, but um, I thought it'd be good to get your take on some of these things because you're an investor yourself and you've got a very wide perspective on what we do in buyer's agency sale and property management. And um, you probably get a lot of these questions from clients every day as well. Yeah, some of them, definitely. <laughs> some of the questions go to me, but uh, between us, I think we'll be able to tackle them. So keep in mind, everyone, this is just our opinions and two cents worth. And um, we don't know your specific situation, but we'll try to give some general input. And even if you're not in this in this situation now, maybe later when you are, you can put this in the back of your memory bank and hopefully have a head start when it comes to next thinking on these topics. So, first question, Dwayne, do you want to read it out? Morning, all. I am looking for some potential suburbs in Perth for investment purposes, preferably new houses, and zeroed in on Valdivas within the city of Rockingham. Can you please share your feedback on this suburb? You can go first, Jared. I don't know why every East Coast investor, not every, but um, I exaggerate there, but a lot of East Coast investors seem to be so you know, focused on Beldivis. Like, they obviously haven't had the history that we have and seen what's happened to Beldivis in the worst of uh, markets here in Perth. And I like to, you know, not just be investing for today, but think back and to when things weren't as hot in the market. And Beldivis is one of those suburbs that you know, our property managers really struggled to find tenants. The rental prices dropped massively. There was a big oversupply of properties for rent and for sale. The sale prices dropped drastically. And you look at the aerial image and what future stages are planned for the suburb. And there's there's land coming on for decades down there. It's a it's amazing what they've built in terms of a community. It's already a very ma massive suburb, one of the biggest suburbs in Perth. But all of those things, you have to ask, how are you doing your research to find what's going to make a good suburb for growth and uh, rentability? Do you want to take us through some of your thinkings on Beldivis and what you potentially look for in a suburb that's going to make a good investment for those reasons? 
Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with Baldivis having quite a lot of land around it, you know, that hasn't necessarily been developed and sold yet. So supply is not really going to be restricted. And therefore, I feel prices may not grow as quickly as those tightly held low supply areas. Having said that, though, building costs are still very, very high. So new stock may not appear for a while. So in the short term, it might look quite attractive. But long term, I mean, who knows? I think people often get attracted to, you know, the shininess of the properties. They are relatively new when you compare Beldivis to some of the more coastal suburbs. But when you're at least directly on the coast, and I'm when I'm sa- I heard someone in a different forum saying Beldivis was close to the beach and and close to the freeway, but for us in Perth, close to the beach is directly beachside, usually. It's the suburb that directly fronts the water. So, for me, those suburbs, and we're talking Port Kennedy, Warmbro, Rockingham, Shoalwater, Waikiki, they have gone through... When we took look at the newer suburbs like Warmbro and Port Kennedy... They, a lot of the houses there were built 20 years ago. And then when we look at Rockingham, Shoalwater, Waikiki, a lot of the houses there were built sort of 40, 50 years ago. So those areas are a lot more built out now. There's very little land that's going to come on. In Port Kennedy, there's a new sort of release of directly releasing sort of a, mar- a bit of a marina and an estate directly on the beach but i think that's going to add to the area overall and not actually detract from the existing house stock and it's only going to make it even more built out and so there's also a fair bit of um, reserves around areas that won't get built on around port kennedy so you'd need to look deeper not just at total land that is there but what's the intended use for it and I personally would rather be if I'm go, putting my money in down there. I'm we've we have bought a, a few properties for clients that are on those direct beach front suburbs, and the government's throwing a huge amount of money into our defence off of um, Rockingham area there and all the supporting industries that support the defence spend for the submarines. So that will continue to boost the area for jobs and add extra you know demand from workers and stuff that are going to be supported there so it's actually not a bad area to be looking at for investment and i expect the future decades are going to all be better than the past decades especially for those directly coastal suburbs where the land supply is now you know mostly bought out but i'd certainly be you know if you're spending 600k to get into Beldivis, why not spend the same to get into a directly coastal suburb and have better chances for growth? Agreed. Definitely. Sorry, man, I went into a bit of a deep dive there. and uh, You did. <laughs> I have said the same thing to quite a few clients lately, so at least now I can just refer them to the uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. So next question, I have an investment property in Scarborough. It's a nice three-by-two, seven-years-old unit. Current tenants are leaving in three months and have been there for two years now. We found them through common friends, so did not use an agent. In this current market, would you get a real estate agent to find a new tenant? I'd like to save fees, but not sure how much work it is to find someone myself. Thank you in advance. I'm going to put this one to you. 
right in your box. Yep. Well, look, I'm going to front up by saying I'm biased. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I work in property management. So for me, I would always say it's beneficial and it's better to pay for a good property manager. Not any old property manager, not a real estate agent. Potentially, it can be a waste of money. But a good property manager, worth the weight in gold. And a couple of reasons for that. I think no stress, right? A good manager takes that away. No emotional connection to the tenant. So, you know, you don't know the person anyhow. Just leave it that way. Um, that way you don't make decisions that are clouded by your emotion. Oh, poor tenant XYZ or whatever it might be. We, we try and stay away from that and make business decisions. We'll let them catch up on their rent over the next three months before you know it. You know, you're three months behind in rent and, you know, it's not getting caught up. Or, you know, you excuse them on that rental increase because they've got, you get too emotionally attached to their world. Um, all of a sudden, you wake up three years later, the market's, you're under rented by 150 bucks a week and you didn't even know it. And, you know, that you can't get back that return that you could have had. So, yeah, it's hard when you're emotionally connected and tied into the tenant. I used to, before I started this agency, I got so fed up with property managers that I, for a while, was managing my own properties and it represent, it gave me a whole bunch of other challenges directly related to that that I, that I never experienced. And so that's why my team manage uh, my properties and thankfully I don't get directly involved in them. Yeah, that's that put on. Um, the last thing is obviously the fees are a tax deduction as well. Right? That, that small little benefit on the side. But you know, back to the question: finding finding a tenant isn't hard. Yeah, it's not just the tenant finding the tenant at the start, and there is a bit more involved in it at the moment. Like I think part of the problem is people think, oh yeah, it's fabulous getting twenty applications. But the trouble is when you actually go deeper and you know what you're looking for and you spend the time to screen these applications with the you know incredibly deep and then you're really only ending up probably with one to two quality tenants at the moment because there is a lot of fringe tenants that don't have rental histories that don't yet have jobs and they're applying before they get here there's a lot of tenants that have got black marks when you look deeper that um, are struggling to sort of get something because of that so well, precisely. And that's where I guess it's, like I said, finding a tenant isn't hard, but finding a good one is. Um, professionals are looking for, you know, that's what they work the nine to five jobs to do rather than doing it around your job. You know, you've got someone dedicated in doing that for you. The other thing that I would also mention is that the paperwork is very, very time consuming and, you know, the different- We do it properly anyway, you know, and actually, you know, yeah, the team spend three or four hours creating a property condition report, you know, there's hundreds of photos in there. And this is where I see a lot of um, issues come up for self-managing landlords. They use the Form 1AA, the lease agreement that the department provides and tenant sign it. It looks okay, right? But for example, our lease has an extra 27 special conditions split that are added to bolster the, you know, the conditions that are already there. And to really set that black and white about where the responsibility lies for different people and what we expect from tenants and what happens in a lease break situation, you know, and a lot of that doesn't, well, I know for sure, none of that is done. I self, they literally sign part A and B and that's it. So, you know, the lease in itself, you know, lodging the bond may not be too difficult, but it's another thing you need to do. 
And like you mentioned, you know, the PCR, I, I get a lot of property condition reports from self-managing landlords. One one particular one was, I'd say, 40 weeks behind in rent, you know, emotionally attached to the tenant, and I uh, asked if he had a PCR. And he said he did. So I had to look and tick box, tick, 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 tick. No description, no nothing, no photos. And it's very difficult to then be able to hold tenants accountable when you don't have proper evidence, photos, proof. And that's why I would suggest that, you know, getting that paperwork done correctly on the upfront will save your headaches moving forward throughout the next year, two, five, ten years of tenancy. Yeah. And I guess it's about preventing small issues becoming bigger ones as the tenancy goes. Because, yeah, when you've got a quality tenant, that's half the battle. And when everything's right in their world, well, things are smooth sailing. But, you know, they might lose their job. They you know, their son might get addicted to drugs and bring it trouble home. The stuff can happen. People can have other things going on in their world that turn turn their world upside down. And then you've just got to be really on the ball to prevent those smaller issues becoming bigger ones. And And the trouble is that if you think, oh, well, I'll go get a property manager if I run into trouble. Well, a lot of property managers don't really want to come in and solve big messes and so that can also make it hard especially when you haven't set everything up the right way for the manager to be able to step in and and you know hold that tenant fully accountable yeah nice spot on great well thanks for tackling that one Dwayne. next question what do we got you want to read this one oh it's a long one <laughs> um but yeah sure i'm looking at buying my first investment property in perth and intend to grow a portfolio after. I went there in 2019 and totally love this place. Uh, I live in Sydney and can't travel to Perth to do inspections regularly. Would you please advise what approaches I should take to invest into state? For example, show you as a buyer's agent, and if so, who would you recommend? Also, please recommend some suburbs for a max budget of 700K, house preferred, and within 30 kilometres drive from Perth CBD. No worries. Well, again... We're, of course, got some bias when it comes to whether or not to use a buyer's agency because we have been providing that service for the last year and getting some really great purchases for people. But, of course, we've got a lot of clients that come to us for property management that um, don't use us for buyer's agency. So, you know, we know what they go through with their experience as well and see the sort of properties that they buy versus what we're buying and helping clients with. And and it is really hard to do it from afar well, not impossible. If we've got a number of sort of do-it-yourself services, do you want to take us through those, Dwayne, and how we can potentially help? Even though it's not the main thing that we do, there is some support that we can offer. Yeah, so our investor support services um, include a few things. Uh, the first is a rental assessment, which I'm happy to provide to any client. So they've got an idea of the yield that they're looking at. Um, and if there's any major red flags from the perspective of rental that I can see from the photos, I'm happy to do those at no cost within reason for um, prospective clients and um, provide them that feedback. So that's sort of number one. And it's usually if you're serious enough on the property, you know, we're not we're not sending out 50 rental assessments for every single property you've seen on realestate.com while you're up until 2am the night before. Um, so... You know. So once you've done your due diligence to a point you're comfortable, then you get me to allow those over it, right? Number two, um, the next part of what we can do is uh, an inspection, right? So we could actually go out and do the pre-purchase inspection for 
people looking at purchasing. Um, it is a little bit tight at the moment with um, selling agents, I guess, with time. They've got a lot of offers, a lot of people. They don't really want to bend over backwards and fit you in. But ideally, we're trying to get in there before the weekend, get the offers accepted for you before the weekend as well, right? So we'll go through and be able to uh, accommodate that, do those pre-purchase inspections um, and provide you with a report for you to make some decisions on whether or not you wish to purchase the property. And look, it's not the primary thing that we do and the team are all very busy and we've got to sort of prioritise our, you know, existing other clients and our other services. And a lot of the team don't work weekends. You know, if I made all my property managers work the weekends, they, you know, they wouldn't be sticking with us uh, and they'd be getting burnt out as well. So it's a balancing act and we sometimes don't have availability. And what how a lot of clients get around that is that they might, get a walkthrough video and a floor plan if possible from the selling agent and then they could include a clause you know subject to satisfaction of viewing um, within 48 hours or within three or four days you just have to find out from the selling agent whether that's going to hurt your offer or not and then yes it could hurt your offer at the moment in this market but a lot of clients uh, get us involved at the final inspection stage especially drain don't they yeah, precisely. So that's the other part of things we do for the inspect, uh, inspection side of things. Um, we'll get go through and do the final inspection, checking out gas plumbing and electrical and making sure the property is still in good nick before the clients say yes and proceed with settlement. Okay, so that's usually done within the last week leading up to settlement and we'll get out there and do that. Now, usually we do those for our clients, um, all the cost of $110 to that as well. And this can often coincide with if you've appointed us as your property manager and you've included conditions to advertise the property and show it for rent, then we can usually be getting on to the marketing and having a tenant lined up going in close to settlement. And, you know, if we, the other way that you can make sure you're getting what you pay for, of course, is in, including clauses for building and pest inspections to be carried out. And in this market, it's pretty hard to ask for anything more than what a re the RE was standard and extras. And the standard and extras cover major structural defects and they cover pest activity and pest damage. And you can usually get in your contract a warranty that all electrical, plumbing and gas items are in working order. And those things don't usually hurt your offer and most offers would include those things in them. But the things outside of that uh, other maintenance that can be required. Sometimes it can be quite costly. Usually you can identify all of that in a walkthrough video. So, and if usually those are the things that we're looking for when we go through and inspect the property. And look, it, it's probably not going to change your purchase decision. It's more just a case of every property that you buy is going to have some level of maintenance. And it's a case of identifying that maintenance with the building inspection, identifying it when we do our final inspection, and then putting a bit of a plan in place for the next, you know, six months, two years, five years, 10 years, as to what are the things that are going to need doing on the property. And when we purchase a property for a client with our buyer's agency, we're looking to identify all of that upfront and let them know when we do the final inspection and pass it over to our property management team to sort of implement that moving forward. And of course, some of the bigger reasons that you may look to use a buyer's agent is I think where we add the most value is an evidence-based approach for suburb selection. 
And making the right choice of where you're buying can be the difference of getting, you know, much better growth over the short term and the long term. We well and truly pay for ourselves, you know, with that expertise that we add to the mix of choosing the right property. And we have something called our trifecta criteria, which I've probably mentioned and you've heard me mention in previous um, podcasts where we're analysing at the suburb level, the area level and the property level, is there any major deal breakers or red flags in here that are going to hurt its rentability, which Twain you know, has really great perspective on, and its resale, which I have great perspective on as well. So, you know, we don't want to accept a shower that is half the normal width that no one can fit in when it's a single bathroom property because, yes, you'll find tenants for it now, but come a softer market, no tenant would want to rent a property like that and that can be very costly to fix a shower when there's all existing built-out walls and and it's not an easy one to solve. (laughs) So it's a case of knowing, you know, what trade-offs are, are okay to make and what ones you shouldn't. Because if you had an unlimited budget, you could have a perfect property with no trade-offs. But the moment you impose a budget, we're going to have to look at what are the appropriate things to trade off and what shouldn't you. And that's a lot of the expertise that we can add in the buyer's agency side. Suburb selection. Then when it comes to negotiation, well, you know, how... Many properties have you bought before? How well, how good are you at competing against a horde of hungry other buyers? You know, are you going to be able to build that rapport with the agent? And in many cases, I've known some of these agents for 10, 15 years. We catch up on if we've been fishing on the weekend and I update, you know, we're having a bit, a good chat for half an hour. And of course, they're more likely to then tell us what sort of price we need to pay to secure it over the other buyers and we can work out whether that's too much to pay or whether it's an appropriate price and part of uh, using us is having the confidence to pull the trigger quickly because you have to make quick decisions you know i had the case on monday with one of our buyers agent clients they didn't get back to us that day and the property's gone and obviously i was a bit upset because i'd prepared all the, the the research and all the everything for a decision and uh, they went off the map and had some busyness at work and whatnot but that's how quickly you do need to make decisions at the moment or you miss out i think the sales agents obviously are dealing with a lot of investors too and to them it's sort of like comes to the weekend ah whatever but we need to have that relationship with that sales agent for many many years and they see jared's calling or Dwayne's calling they'll actually talk to you and give you the time and you can find out a lot more information from them too. So that the buyer's agents is, you know, those relationships are what you're getting as part of that. And I think that makes a big difference to, as you said, finding out that pricing, finding out, you know, what we need to offer and, you know, potentially being able to secure properties quickly as well. And of course, the other thing that we can really help benefit clients is that we are getting access to quite a number of off-market properties. Like, you know, there's a number of reasons that, a seller would sell off market. They could be under-rented or really poorly presented with trouble with their tenants. And, you know, our team can roll up their sleeves and try to, you know, solve that. And if you can pick it up for a decent or a price that's under market, it can be worth solving a tenant problem and purchasing it. 
it could be that the the owners want to rent back or a delayed settlement and so they're looking for a specific type of buyer or they might not even be ready and on the market yet so if you can speak to agents and get access to stuff that's off market and coming up but provide that solution it can certainly help and we've also been cultivating a network of buyers agents that all use us for property management and when we don't we come across a property that suits but we don't have a client for we share it among our network and that's where we're getting access to a lot of other properties that um you know aren't yet on the market so that's pretty much uh, a quick summary. Was it quick? I got a little carried away. I'm not sure. <laughs> it was quick, but I think it was details. I think I'll just cover one last thing on that question. So the the question did ask for some recommended suburbs with a max budget of seven. Eight. And um, I just want to refer this one back to how we can help our investors, right? So in the investor support service side of things, we do offer a buyer's information pack at a cost for $220 and it will give you five suburbs within your budget range that has had some great growth. And Jared, I think you can probably better explain the the data crunching that's gone into how those suburbs. Well, it's certainly not, you know, just had great growth. Like we, we're looking at the historical performance of the suburb and that, you know, gets us a bit of a short list. And then we're overlaying the short-term prediction tools and other local knowledge that we have to bring that list down to the suburbs that have the best growth potential in the short term and the long term. So it's the methodology that we use for our buyer's agency that we also provide in our suburb selection for our buyer's information pack. We don't go anywhere near as deep as we would for our buyer's agency, you know, like, so, but it's certainly going to be a much better starting point and uh, really good way for you to filter down your search as opposed to anything that you might be doing with throwing darts at a board or buying in a suburb because your mate told you or reading in the online forums how great Valdivis is and buying there. <laughs> no one does that, do they? <laughs> no. Right, next question. Hello, everyone. I have a question if anyone can give me some advice. Oh, yep, that's why I'm reading it. Uh, my parents live in a home at the moment and they have 250k on their mortgage left and we've got a realtor to come and refinance the house and they said the house was worth 1.4 million. I presume he's talking about we got an appraisal perhaps from an agent and then maybe a finance broker to to potentially look at refinancing. We're thinking of using the equity to buy an investment property and we're told we could get about 600k. Is this a good idea with the current market and interest rate situation? In all honesty, my parents are just able to pay the mortgage at the moment and me and my sister are planning to chip in if we do this. They said if the mortgage on the current home would increase, possibly to double, me and my sister are happy to contribute the investment we're planning to get rented. Well, that's a good start. Thanks, everyone, for the advice. Neil, this brings me back to when I was, when I've listened to Robert Kiyosaki's audio book, and I'm pretty sure it's in Rich Dad's Guide to Investing, where he was telling the story that he was on a radio show and someone was calling up and saying, you know, I can get access. My mum's prepared to give me access to her equity in her house and, you know, what should I do to, inv to invest that? It really does come back to 
getting educated first because my parents helped me out when I was starting, but I did learn enough to have a very clear plan what we were going to do with the property, what the time period was going to be, what sort of you know returns I was trying to achieve, what's the holding cost for the property going to be, you know, who's going to pay what, you know, and and what are we going to do if my parents need the equity back? What are we going to do if I want to then go and buy a house or rent a house and can't continue to afford paying this shortfall? That arrangement might work for the shorter term, but, you know, when you start getting a partner and and uh, a place of your own and wanting to do your own investing, you know, does it still make sense for you to keep contributing over here if your partner's like, what about our own investing or what's going on over here? Uh, how are you going to split and share profits? It's likely to have to be in the parent's name. So they're going to have all the risk associated and tied up against their home. Like, do you really appreciate the position that you're potentially putting them in when they are probably towards the retiring stage of their investing. So, you know, it's fabulous that they're prepared to look at helping you. I would just really, I'm just trying to ask a lot of those extra questions for you to get super clear on the plan, the the property and how it's all going to work and the worst case scenarios. Is there anything else there, Dwayne? Because I, I really did dive into that one. You did, you did. All those questions are very valid. And I think, you know, for me, the first thing that jumps at me, there's a lot there. There's a lot of complexity and um, two things, really. One, work out an exit strategy. As you said, there's a different, you know, multitude of things that might happen. So what happens if you lose your job or your sister does or who knows, you know, and you need to speak things out, put it in the plan, put it in writing, and everyone needs to agree on that moving forward before you even start. Secondarily, to me, whether a pl- whether this action is a good action to take is whether or not it fits into your overall plan for your investing and your sister's investing and your parents. So you're actually tying in three different, I guess, argument entities or three different people's plans and trying to you know, use one course of action to fulfill three people's plans. Now, if you don't have a plan, then it's hard to say this action is the right one to take to help you achieve where you want to be, right? So, I mean, to me, it's great that there is that, equity, you've got that money that you're able to borrow and your parents are fantastic for allowing that, but everyone needs to be clear on where they want to be by when and then see does that, this this action fit with everyone? Because if it doesn't, probably not the right course. The other sort of way I see it structured a lot is if sister and brother have serviceability and they have jobs and they can actually borrow in their own right, what they're usually lacking is a deposit. So that it's not a bad way then if the parents can provide that deposit and they'd effectively be taking out a second loan against their house. But if the parents can only afford their current mortgage, I'm a bit worried about them getting any extra lending and qualifying for the banks in general. So that's going to be a potentially large roadblock. And all this may not even be possible if you can't get over that first roadblock of, you know, ticking the bank's box for serviceability. Someone has to service this and then the deposit has to come from somewhere. And if you can't get an extra loan in the parent's name, then you're not going to be getting any equity out at all. So definitely go deeper with finance broker. Definitely think more about your plan and just jot down, you know, some of the answers to those questions that we were posing. 
and in general, yes, you know, it's a good time to look at buying property in Perth because there's more upside ahead and you will benefit and it could set you both, you, you all up for, you know, future having more choices. But you also don't want to have the wrong um, setup and the wrong property and have everything, you know, restricting you all moving forward. And we don't want it to be a, your first experience in property to be a nightmare either. <laughs> Next question, what are the hidden costs of property investing, the costs you don't norm normally think of when you first run your figures and about what percentage of rental yield will have you close to break even or dare I dream positively geared for property, assuming you have borrowed the maximum amount a bank will allow you to secure the initial purchase. So I just thought I'd brainstorm on this one, Dwayne, because it's hard to know when we say uh, hidden costs, it's hard to know what costs someone um, is aware of already. So it's probably worth just, you know, rattling off all the things that we think of, both at the initial purchase and then maybe ongoingly. What, what are some of the initial purchase costs? I think, I think everyone knows about stand duty. Uh, yes, well, you have to factor that in. <laughs> in that, but, I mean, if you're looking at it from the point of rental, I mean, you know, council rates, water rates, and your insurances, landlord, building insurances. I think the one that arguably is hidden, and even some investors don't see it after investing for many years, is the cost of wear and tear that can happen on your property. And people don't factor in that replacement cost. So I've come across this a lot. Carpets, say, ATO depreciation lifespan is eight years to 10 years. And if a property has the carpets for 40 years, you know, there's a bit of saving there. But the other side is if tenants are wearing that out every six years or seven years, there is a hidden cost of that replacement of carpet more frequently over time, right? And that's just an example of carpet, but it happens with all your appliances to the home as well. So what are the hidden costs that I find that people are not aware of is maintenance, right? Property managers not being on top of things and the maintenance bill building up. And you think, oh, it's just the normal cost of running, you know, an investment property. When in reality, it might not be, and you can keep that investment cost down and by minimizing that maintenance cost. So I think that that's the first thing they jump to me when I talk, you know, talk about hidden costs. But yeah, look, I, I don't even know where to start because there's so many. I mean, it does arguably that people are I mean, people also have, you know, out on the front end, they have their building and pest inspection, typically, you know, six to $800. They have their settlement agent, which is probably around 800 to $1,000. They have a whole bunch of sort of smaller incidental costs with the loan setup and whatnot. So I usually say allow five to six percent of the purchase price in the upfront, you know, setup costs. Go six percent just to be, you know, safe and have that extra money there if if you need it. And then depending on that, you know, how could someone really get a feel for their maintenance cost per year? It's probably going to depend on you know age of the property, how well maintained it's going to be. And I sort of in my head allow for, you know, up to 10 grand of stuff that I'm going to have to do in the first year. Like even a house that appears to be well maintained on the surface and it might pass the working electrical plumbing and gas items all working at settlement. Inevitably, first year, you know, on virtually every property I've purchased, it's like, oh, the air conditioner stopped working, Jared. Oh, the... Rain should have stopped. Oh, the, the, did you realize, Jared, the oven needs replacing? These things are working at the time that we settle them, but 
ongoingly you can expect at least i think allow five ten grand per year minimum five grand just to to keep your properties maintained and it's obviously going to depend on how new it is if it's obviously just been built then yeah you're going to have a a bit of a honeymoon period where a lot of things might still be covered under warranty too you're not going to have to do much at all but then when we're talking older properties and i get into a lot of the the character homes and the the properties with development potential and stuff so you know these tend to it's every i'm I'm happy if i go a week without hearing from my manager (laughs) or at least go a month without hearing from them i get excited so and answer the rest of this question i thought we'd just tie it up in a bow because they say oh what sort of yield do you need to end up neutral to positive well i tend to look at uh the rental yields in Perth at the moment and we're at sort of five five and a half percent if you're purchasing around the median house price of around five fifty six hundred k you're gonna you're gonna get five five and a half percent so let's let's take the yield at five and a half percent you're probably gonna have at least one percent of your yield possibly one and a half percent of your yield taken up in all of these costs and property management and land tax which are other costs we hadn't mentioned there. So let's take it at 1.5%. So your yield starts out at 55 you end up at 4%. And the average loan, typical loan at the moment, is probably around 6.5%. So you've got a 2.5% spread there that you're likely to have to come up with. And that is probably, you know, likely to be before negative gearing, you know, before you go and get your tax deductions for for having a shortfall um, at the end of the financial year. So let's look, we're left with two and a half percent when we apply some negative gearing. If you're, you know, able to save 30 cents in the dollar, 2.5 reduced is going to, what is that going to be, Dwayne? I'm just calculating that out. Probably you rightly calculate. Look, it's going to be about 1.75% then. So let's say your purchase price is 550k. You can do top level numbers. If we're paying one and a half, 1.75% of 550, that's going to be $9,625 per year. So I worked that out quite quickly, but, you know, back of the envelope, you don't really need to go much deeper unless you're really coming down close to the bone on what your your monthly savings and your yearly savings ability is. Did I speak over your head then, Drain, or can you translate that to simple talk? (laughs) No, I think you explained that quite well, actually, but um, maybe we'll get some feedback from the listeners in the moment. And so take that figure, 9,600. We said you'd need a 5K but surplus for maintenance per year. So, yeah, you probably, I'd say that you'd really need 15 odd K in surplus investable money per year to sustain this property through its ups and downs. And, you know, that's what I would at least be looking at. Now, how do we define if that's sort of worth it? And at the moment, we're going to get likely get a, a decent surge in growth. Um, but over the longer term, it's going to more probably average out at about 5% for that type of property. 
So if you're getting 5% and it's costing you 1.75 or 2%, you're still going to be ahead in that 3% spread per year. And this is going to be compounding the price in the background, not getting taxed until when and if you sell. So, and, and over time, our rental prices are going to keep going up as well. You don't just look at what it is when you purchase it. I expect strong rental prices ahead. We're probably going to increase 10% at least over the next year, maybe more. So that yield's going to really improve and, you know, you, that's going to decrease what you are going to need to pay to hold it very quickly. So when we can project forward and actually create a plan, we can see, is this affordable now? How's it going to change, likely change over time? And what does that mean for sort of building a whole portfolio and having enough assets to give you the compounding growth that you need to create that passive income by a certain age or at least have, you know, a decent amount of equity or a certain amount of equity by a certain age in order to have more choices too. So when you've built up the equity, you can choose to sell part or all of your properties and pay down debt increase the passive income that you're getting from the portfolio or you could choose to sell all or part of the properties and convert into higher income producing assets such as index funds or commercial property so all of this gives you choices but i think a lot of people that sort of think oh well you know i i want to set and forget i hear this i want to set and forget property that i don't have to you know pay anything towards i don't have to when you're investing, you got to put something in in order to get something out, and you know it can take some time before it becomes neutral to positive. And you know you got to look at the bigger picture of what you're trying to, where you're trying to get to, and you know be prepared to invest to get there. Does all that make sense, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. Now, is it possible to get higher rental yields than the? five and a half percent that we're talking about well when you go down to the lower price points you certainly might be able to achieve six or six and a half percent but it doesn't come without the trade-off on growth so usually i find that the overall return ends up at 10 to ten and a half percent so if you're increasing your rental yield to six six and a half you're probably going to get a three to three and a half percent average capital growth rate yes you might get a surge in growth over the the coming year or two because you know perth's increasing and prices are going to raise all boats including units and apartments it'll get to but over the longer term it's there's no cheating the 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 realities of supply and demand and and where you know returns are going to revert to so you know you really do need to expect lower growth if you're getting higher yield now are there some other strategies that people can employ to get a higher rental yield yes but they also don't come without much greater hassle and much greater risk and in my opinion it doesn't suit the average investor that's trying to do things passively and have set and forget so if you want you can look at rooming houses and you can look at airbnb and you can look at other ways to you know furnished properties but all of this has extra hassle and you have to put a real price on your time as well and the risk on some of these is that yes they work well 
when the market's super hot like now, but when the market cools and we don't, or if we have a pandemic and we don't have any visitors using Airbnb at all, and we have uh, no workers in the CBD to rent a furnished apartment, you know, these are the type of, when you're chasing that high yield, it comes at a higher risk that people don't always perceive the other side of. So just be aware of that. Woo! We covered some ground there. <laughs> so, final question. Would one rather spend extra few thousand to get an individual sewerage to the main green title requirement or save the money and settle for a survey strata? So, just to clarify, a green title property has its own services and its own sewerage connection and a survey strata property often shares those connections and the services and so you have to spend a bit extra to meet the requirements to get a green title this person's in the process of subdividing a one block into two and oh it's located in Valdivis. here it is again <laughs> for green title i may have to pay another 10k to tap through sewerage from the rear to the main sewerage juncture plumber charging 15k whereas for strata i can settle it with just 5k so 15k versus 5k basically 10k extra to end up with the green title is there a preference for green title or strata these days the plan is to rent both out or sell one and keep the other for rental income so it's usually you know if you're spending an extra 10k on two lots the way i think about it is we're basically spending 5k per lot to end up with a green title and if when we're talking about such small amounts i don't see why you wouldn't go for a green title there is still a, a, a perception difference between green title and strata and it matters probably more when you know what's typical for an area you know most people buying in Beldivis are going to want their own green title when you're in a western suburb or something like that it also does matter a lot but it there can be a lot of sort of buyers that are willing to go the strata option just to get into that suburb and it can be a good foot in the door so that they're not as worried about it and i think green title for the outer suburbs is you know well it's always going to be valued with at more isn't it whether you're outer suburbs or western suburbs i'm surprised that the differential isn't greater and there's there might there's not other requirements to meet but if it's that simple and and you know you're going to get the extra value back in your end prices i think oh look i 100 agree i think there's a stigma still around the word you know strata <laughs> and there's nothing else that might be shared there may be no common walls there may be no strata insurance but strata can still sound scary to certain people so Look, for, to that price difference, I tend to agree. I'd, I'd go down that green title route as well myself. Awesome. Well, thank you for tackling all of our questions today, Dwayne. And sorry if I got a bit excited and uh, dived into some of those in the deep end, but hopefully it all made sense and people got a lot of value out of it. And head over to our Facebook group to join in the combos and post your questions. Plenty of people there to help out. And I love doing a episode every month or so just to give you my take and may even get you back again Dwayne 
Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, mate. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group. Thank you.